like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we are... Uh, the fourth week of the McTurbo theme, January 2021, and that is 80s action movies. Tonight, we're going to be reviewing 1986's Platoon, um, a movie I picked. Uh, one, because I'd never seen it, and it's a iconic war film that I'd been kind of putting off because I knew it was going to be pretty intense, um, which led to Corey banning war movies forever. Um, I don't know if that will stick, folks. Ever. To be fair, she picked two war movies this month before condemning my war movie. Um, Red Dawn and Top Gun both qualify, in my opinion, although not a combat film like Platoon. It's the down in the trenches stuff, man. I mean, Red Dawn gets kind of in the trenches, too, but it's it's got that weird, like, lighthearted killing is good vibe. It seriously, I guess. I don't know. It didn't feel like there were any true consequences consequences i don't know well they're definitely different vibes platoon is more of a realistic kind of like the horror of war and that's a trope we see a lot in vietnam movies but we're not ready just yet to get into our review of platoon um we will get into that in a moment before we start talking about the film of the day we like to catch up with how we've been doing and see what else we've been watching since the last time we recorded so Corey, how's it going i'm so glad it's friday Mm. fridays are fun week of mondays man (laughs) it was just one right after the other (laughs) yeah i kind of this week was uh up and down for me um my tuesday and thursday were pretty solid uh at work like everything felt cool there i had some good experiences and then uh my wednesday was real bad like i i hit a wall and was just like really down in the dumps all day Mm. um and today started that way but it ended pretty strong. So, like, by the time, like, I would say by about 5 o'clock, I was in pretty good spirits and um, ended up having a second night of Magic playing because uh, uh, my friend was available two nights in a row. So we had dinner last night and tonight and then played both nights. Um, it was fun times. If, if not, a little, we do wear masks, everybody, just so you know when we are playing. But it's still, uh, it seems risky. But reality is, in our state, they're acting like it's not happening, and I have to work with a bunch of kids. They keep putting more kids in my classroom. Um, you know, it, it's we are we are constantly uh, being kind of bombarded with the possibility of COVID. Um, so we're, Mia and my friends, we try to stay as safe as we can, but our jobs do put us at risk. And same, my wife and my daughter's jobs put us at risk because they both work retail, and there's you know just people everywhere all the time but you know we try to be safe but uh this week was was rather tough and it shouldn't have been because this was a good week you know like there we had the inauguration there was some really good positive stories some good news has come out of that like he's already i believe that i haven't officially heard but i think we're like student loan payments are delayed until like september or something so that's like good news um and uh they're trying to get the vaccine rollout going better. Um, Corey, you've had your first vaccination, right? Yeah. Have you been able to schedule for your second one yet? 
Oh, they scheduled us right when we were done with mm. the first part. That's good. So, yeah, that's like all chaos right now. It sounds like all over the place too. What? So, um, because they're trying to they're trying to push, um, that like instead of like saving vaccines for the second shot, that they just like get all of the vaccines we currently have out as to oh. as many people as we can, and then uh, that's what they're trying. Nothing has officially happened yet, but that's what they're like because they're. They're saying now that you can wait. Originally, it was four weeks, but they're saying up to two months and get your booster shot, and you'll still be okay. Why? Why would we? I don't know. I feel like you probably. I'm not. It's like I'm gonna say I'm not really a risk taker, but I did move to the complete opposite corner of the country. It's fine. But like with things like that, I'm like, why would you risk it? Take care of what you can actually take. You know. Well, there's there is good reason, um, and it's again, it's not there's not a good decision, and I don't really know where that's I true. which side I fall on. Um, it there's just not enough people getting vaccinated, and that's the bigger problem. Um, this rollout has been kind of crazy how bad it has been uh, because it is fairly miraculous that we have a vaccine um, in the speed that we were able to get one, and uh, the fact that we are now like not able to get it into people is pretty problematic. So. Um, this isn't a political talk. This is just like real, real talk. The vaccines out there, people should be getting the vaccine and there are people who don't want the vaccine, but because those people are in that group who are the only ones eligible, there's this weird, like not passing out. Like it needs to, the, the availability needs to open up quicker. I think if people are refusing to get it, like it should be first, first in line are you and if you're like no then it should automatically like okay who's next in line go on go on yeah that see i didn't under i didn't realize i wonder if that's a problem in certain areas because like in my area they've already started um vaccinating it's by groups like everywhere else but they're already they've started like a week or two ago vaccinating people in our next group which is like um essential workers uh school employees like I can't remember all the people oh. in the group, but they've already started. So, you know. Yeah, we're not we're not listed as essential here. Uh, as far as the vaccines go, teachers are like way down on the list, apparently. But, um, Dude. Yeah, you know, we're, yeah. we're just in classrooms with people who might be infected. It's fine. Um, but you know, it, it is uh, it's it's helpful though. Like, and that's what stinks that this week wasn't as good as I was like I was expecting this week to be much. Like, oh, okay, well, I can I can breathe a little bit, but um, did have some cool experiences with some of my classes. Um, we every one of my film classes started a movie this week because I'm I'm changing, I'm still adjusting to this like hybrid thing and trying to find the right balance. And also, like, I don't treat my class like an elective in the sense that it's like I don't treat it like it's not important um, because a lot of the skills that we we utilize we can use in all the classes and. Film does use every subject uh, potentially and some even very, very strongly. Um, so I always treat my 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 uh, my subject like it is the big ones. And um, I'm having to back a little bit off of that just because there's there is so much students struggling to like handle the workload and whatnot. Um, so I'm trying to find a balance. And so we start every every group started a movie this week. And uh you know, like getting to see reactions and hear reactions to films like that I have 
like I, I taught Groundhog Day to one class and like hearing them laugh and get like the jokes that are, you know, 20 years old almost. Uh, and then finding out that Michael, uh, a little older, finding out Michael Shannon is in Groundhog Day was a big revelation for me that I never <laughs> clicked it. Um, and yeah. it was funny because like I've seen it a lot in my life. It's been a few years since I watched it the last way through, but um, it's probably been like four or five years since the last time I watched it. And I'm much more aware of Michael Shannon now than I was then. Oh, and so I, I feel like I probably did have that revelation once before. Um, but this was like a time where I'm definitely, you know, very, very up on Michael Shannon. And so I wasn't even looking at the screen. I heard it. And I'm like, hold up. What now? And I look, I'm like, oh, my God, he's so young. Like, it's he crazy. has such a great voice. Yeah. Very distinctive voice and cadence. The way he speaks. Yes. Like, um, I is- feel... Oh, sorry. I feel like no. he should, like, do some books on audio. Maybe he has. Maybe I need to look into that. I don't, like, listen to those, but for him, I probably would. I, I listen to audiobooks. Um, I finished one this week, in fact, uh, which I'll talk about. Um, but, yeah, um, and, like, another class did, uh, the, started the Truman Show today, and then uh, two classes started Truman Show, because they're the same subject, just different periods. And then um, we watched uh, Val Luton's Cat People, because I introduced him to Val Luton, who's the uh, iconic producer, which I'll actually, that'll be part of my, what I've been watching. And then, um, my film three honors class, we're studying uh, the social justice, social problem films, but they definitely have a social justice vibe. Like we watched three Spike Lee movies earlier this year, and now we're doing what I'm calling the Oakland. Um, well, it's not like a, it's two movies, but we we just watched Ryan Coogler's Fruitvale Station, and um, my students loved it, but also are slightly mad at me because they they were all crying, and um, one student said they cried so hard they puked. So. What? Uh, Whoa! Those, yeah. Um, it's I don't know if you've seen Fruitvale Station, but it is a very emotional uh movie. Um, I was, I'm like most of my students turn their cameras off, especially if they're watching the movie. Like they'll have their camera off. They'll still be in the the chat with me, but they're like not visible. Mm -hmm. But I leave my camera on, and that movie shatters me. Um, so like I'm trying really hard not to like just start bawling. Like it's not I I tears are welling, but I'm like trying to compose myself because I feel like I'm about to like hysterical cry you know or like ugly cry as you would say and um i don't want to do that on the zoom call so i'm like choking back tears and like i don't know if they're actually even looking at me at that point but i i I could be looked at i have no idea what you know what they're actually looking at on their computers but um yeah that was an intense thing but next week we watch blind spotting uh, as our follow-up to that because the incident fruitvale station is the true story or at least the based on a true story version of Oscar Grant's life and death in Oakland. Um, and that uh, police shooting does uh, inspire David Diggs and Rafael Casal to start writing blind spotting. Um, their movie is not a direct one for one of Oscar Grant's life, like Fruitvale station is supposed to be, but it is inspired by that particular shooting and how it uh, r- rallied the community in Oakland um, to like talk about it. And so uh both are set in Oakland, both deal with that element. And so um, it's an interesting uh, kind of juxtaposition of the two films next to each other. And tonally, they're very different. And yet there are a lot of similarities and parallels. Um, so it's it's uh, I'm looking forward to, to introducing about half of my class has seen it already and the other half hasn't. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how they connect the two films and stuff. But, um, but is there anything else before we get into what we've been watching? No. All right. You want to go first or second this week? I'll let you go first. All righty. 
Um, so I obviously just watched, I watched those movies with my, my classes. Uh, I have not, we have not finished Truman show. We just started that today, but, um, I've watched quite a bit. I watched, uh, rewatched one night in Miami, um, for bloody awesome movie podcast. That's now out on Amazon prime, um, with your prime subscription. I highly recommend that film. Our episode dropped on Thursday. Um, so if you haven't listened to that yet, check out the bloody awesome movie podcast and Matt and I spoiler free review, uh, one night in Miami. Um, I watched the Beastie Boys story on uh, Apple TV Plus, um, which is really, really cool. It, I didn't know what it was. I assumed it was a documentary, but it's actually like a uh, two-man show with um, Adam Horowitz and Mike D uh, talking about the band and Adam Yock, who's the member who died of cancer a few years back. Um, and uh, Spike Jones directs, but um, it's them on a stage with like a live audience talking about their entire career and their friendships and how the band formed and changed and altered and their trials and tribulations. And it's, uh, you can tell they're reading teleprompters at times cause they're not actors, you know? So like some of it is very like I'm reading script, but it's also still very genuine and there's a lot of cool stuff. And, um, if you like the Beastie Boys, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, watch the first two episodes of WandaVision on Disney plus. Um, new episode dropped today when we're recording this, but I haven't had a chance to watch the third episode yet. But I, I like the first two episodes. Um, watched a documentary that I found out was on my uh, Blu-ray Criterion of the Cat People called Val Luton, The Man in the Shadows, um, narrated by uh, Martin Scorsese. And it was one I really wanted to watch before I started teaching it. I, I've done a lot of study on Val Luton at this point. I've listened to, I think, a 15 or 16-hour podcast about Val Luton. Um Maybe more, but it's the uh, Secret History of Hollywood. I've talked about that podcast before. Um, it is excellent, but they did the Man in the Shadows. I think they just called it the Shadows uh, for the podcast, but it's very much a lot of the same information that the documentary covers. So I already kind of knew a lot of it, but it was still cool like to see it. Um, and I watched another documentary, well, a docu-series on Netflix called Five Came Back. It's three hour-long episodes. Um, I just finished the audiobook of Five Came Back as well, which is like a 17 or 18-hour audiobook. Um, and that was part of my goal for this year. Uh, it's about five directors and, and their, uh, impact from world war two, where they went, um, to film a bunch of stuff as part of the military. Um, like we have Frank Capra, John Ford, George Stevens, uh, William Wyler and, um, John Houston. And, uh, we've watched a couple of John Ford films. Um, we watched, or at least we watched searchers together. Um, and did we do Shane on the podcast? Yeah, I think so. So that's George Stevens. And Shane's a movie I adore. And I've taught Shane a couple times. And um, obviously Frank Capra, for me, is one of my favorite directors. Because It's a Wonderful Life is my all-time favorite movie, I think is fair to say at this point. And um, so like uh, this movie, reading the book got me wanting to watch this docuseries. And the docuseries has made me watch a few of their uh propaganda films or war documentaries that were made in the course of that time i watched part of my what i've been watching is uh, let there be light which is this really kind of crazy documentary john houston films of uh, what will essentially become ptsd but this is before ptsd was a known problem they had different names for it at the time i think they call it psychological neurosis or something along those lines um in this documentary he films uh 75 people 75 soldiers who were put into like a mental institution after coming back from world war ii and um 
it's a very much a manipulative documentary. Like you can tell that there's footage probably left out in the way he structured it, but it's very well made and it's still very, very jarring to see. But uh, five came back, got me into that. And then um, I have a few other movies I want to watch from that. But uh, George Stevens, I didn't realize the impact that he had. He's the director from Shane. Um, he was uh, the Dachau, the Jewish concentration camp. He was with the first group that got there to free the the still alive prisoner. So he filmed all of the atrocities that the Nazis committed at the at the camp, and was is a large part. The films that he made there are a large part of why the Nazis that were uh, arrested and prosecuted were able to be prosecuted because mm. of the footage. Um, so like just largely impactful. It it devastated him. Um, in fact, it you can definitely tell his time at war and what he saw i think is very much reflected in shane because shane would be like another 10 years later um and one of his last films but uh just just crazy the amount of influence that these guys ended up putting into the world by capturing stuff like that um but uh i watched jerry Maguire um for, for the first time i actually thought i'd seen it and i've only seen parts of it i've never watched it from beginning to end um, Matt and I are getting ready for movie astrology, uh, for 96. So that was on the top 10 and I haven't seen it. So I, I checked that off my list. Um, I like Jerry Maguire. I also, I don't love it. It's a little long in my opinion. Um, but I, I do like it. Uh, you ever seen Jerry Maguire? Yeah. I know you're not like a super Tom Cruise fan and that one's a little, he's a little much. He's very Tom Cruisey in that movie. Show um, me the money! Yeah, I, I really like Cuba Gooding Jr. in that movie, though. Um, and Renee Zellweger, who I, I like from Empire Records a lot. So, like, you know, seeing her in that. And I know she's in other movies. I liked her in uh, Judy a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, I watched The Maltese Falcon for the first time. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to work through the five directors, like, big films that I've not seen. So Maltese Falcon is John Huston's first big film um, before the war. Like, he finishes that and then basically heads off to World War II. And so I, I watched two of his movies this week um, with the Let There Be Light and then the Maltese Falcon. And then I watched Platoon. So um, that's pretty much everything I watched this week. I don't think there's any more TV. I think that was the gist of it. So um, what have you been watching? Well, first, before I start my very short list, um, it's Jim Jarmusch's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Jim. We are big fans. Happy birthday. Um, We've covered many of his films on this podcast over the years. Yeah. Um, I still love Only Lovers Left Alive. Um, so apparently I haven't had enough pandemic. And I also knocked off a couple of 2020 movies from Shudder. Um, mm. But anyways, I watched Before the Fire, which was released in 2020 and takes place in a pandemic. I... I it's hard to say, like, I enjoyed it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I thought it was a good movie. I mean, I started yeah, I wa watching it, and I was like, because, I, you know what I mean? I don't know. It isn't as stressful as Contagion, but, um, and then I watched Hunted on Shudder, which also is from 2020, um, so... There were some weird things happening in that movie, <laughs> but they did. I don't. I like. I can't. I don't really think I should say what I what they were because I don't know. Um, but they didn't take away from my enjoyment. 
of it. So, I mean, it's based off of, uh, loosely based off of Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, okay. So if you keep that in mind, I think, while you're watching it, you know. And then, um, watched a couple episodes of Living With Yourself with our boy Paul Rudd on the Ah. Netflix. Oh, you know, I started that and I don't think I ever finished it. Oh, I've watched, Bill and I have watched two episodes. Um, now I can't remember if I finished it. I think I might have finished it. Now I have to look. Because it was a while ago. It was during the pandemic, so it feels like it was forever ago. I know! Um, Yeah. But I did start it for sure. Now I'm like, wait, did I just forget to go back and finish it? Well, now you have something to watch. And then I'm still watching Reno 911. No, I totally finished this. I remember now. Mm. I I liked it. It's I like Paul Rudd, so I know is yeah. he he's great in everything. Although it does say season one, implying there could be more. I hate when they do or that though. Yeah, there's nothing set in stone. Like there's no like season two hasn't started filming, so it's probably done. It seems, I if I remember correctly, because again, clearly I'm I'm having a hard time recalling it enough to know for sure that I watched it, but I'm pretty sure it ends in a conclusive way. So. Mm. But there's always, like, a little wiggle room with TV, you know? Like, yeah. Like, we could come back. They're like, look who's back from the dead! But no, there's no spoilers there, listeners, because she's only seen the first two episodes. Yeah, it's so. only the first two episodes. But, I mean, we do see that happen all the time. Yes. That, that <laughs> is a common trope in, in film and, and TV, where we think something's done. It's like, oh, no, no. Look who's back! <laughs> yeah. Comic books being the worst at that. Boy. That's all I got, guys. All right. Then we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get into our first spoiler-free review of Platoon before getting into spoilers. So we'll be right back. Hey, this is Matt from What I Watched Tonight. Come join me in the back row for movie discussion, retrospective episodes with guests, director-focused shows, end-of-year rankings, start-of-the-year predictions, and much, much more. There's more going on in the back row than you might think. So, before we talk about Platoon, let's look at the stats. It's from 1986, directed by Oliver Stone, written by Oliver Stone. And I learned um, just before this podcast uh, that Oliver Stone was a, is a Vietnam vet. Oh. And so this movie has a lot of his kind of interpretation of what it was like to be there. Um, and what battle and combat was like, because uh, he has actual combat experience. Um, I started watching, uh, there's a video version of the Joe Rogan podcast on YouTube uh, with an interview with Oliver Stone. And I just, I just can't, um, I just can't get into the Joe Rogan. I know he's like one of the most popular podcasts, but it's just not, it's not for me. Um, so I only made it like five minutes in. I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, the synopsis is Chris Taylor a neophyte recruit in Vietnam finds himself caught in a, a battle of wills between two sergeants, one good and the other evil, a shrewd examination of the brutality of war and the duality of man in conflict. It's such a weird synopsis to me because it is, it doesn't sum up the actual plot. It, that's just like a very detailed take, but a lot of people in this movie that are worth noting. Um, you have Charlie Sheen as the, the star here, Chris, uh, I believe this was his debut or it was very close. No, I'm sorry. He's in Red Dawn, right? Um, it was one of his early films. So this is a film that made him a star. And uh, I'm sorry. I'm like scrolling down through his stuff because um, he is in Red Dawn. 
which is two years earlier. He's in a few like TV movies, and then Lucas, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Wraith, and Platoon, Wisdom, all come out in '86. Mm. Plus, plus an episode of Amazing Stories. Um, so busy year '86 for him, but Platoon is the movie that he really like breaks off as the star. Uh, but then you get with him Tom Berenger as Sergeant Barnes, which I find interesting because they will then later do Major League together. Um, and Tom Berenger is a much nicer person in uh, Major League. Um, we get Willem Dafoe as Sergeant Elias, uh, Keith David, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Francisco Quinn, Kevin Dillon, John C. McGinley, very young John C. McGinley, Reggie Johnson, uh, Mark Moses, Corey Glover. And then the big curveball for me was Johnny Depp. Um, cause I, I did not notice him in the movie oh. until the credits. Like I, he was really? like that. I just was like, not seeing him. Like I was just like, where is he? What's Who's the interpreter? Yeah, I guess I just zoned him out every time. Um, but, uh, and then Chris Peterson, who also is somewhat familiar, Richard Edson, very small part, but, uh, if you've seen, um, do the right thing, he's in a couple of other Spike Lee movies. So I recognize him. Um, Tony Todd, a uh, very small part, but Tony Todd is very iconic, uh, Candyman. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, so big cast. Oliver Stone is a director who I have not seen a lot of his stuff. And I, actually I'd say I'd seen even less as an adult. I think I saw, um, I saw Natural Born Killers when I was way too young. Yeah. I, I saw Born on the 4th of July when I was way too young, um, which I don't know if he directed or just produced that, um. Did he direct that? Yeah, he directed that too. Um, so I've still never seen Wall Street, which is a big movie that I need to check off my list. I've never seen... Uh, the, oh, I do like The Doors. Um, pre-seeing this, The Doors was my favorite Oliver Stone movie. Um, I've never seen JFK, which is on my list, but I've not watched it. Uh, I've not seen Nixon. I saw U-Turn. Not a fan. Um, didn't like U-Turn. Uh, I actually do like Any Given Sunday. I don't think it's uh, like the best movie, but I liked it when I saw it. And um, I haven't seen most of his other movies. Now that I'm looking at it. So I have, I've only seen a few of his films, but I've seen Natural Born Killers and Born on the Fourth of July and The Doors are pretty iconic. Wall Street's the big one I still need to see off of his uh, checklist. I think there's like people put up there as like a really great film. Um, but... Uh, Corey, why don't you start? What did you think of Platoon? I know that it was stressful, but like, once you made it through. Um, yeah, I had to break it up into two nights. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get through it all the way. And I watch movies before I go to bed, you know, and that's just not good when it's something that makes you so anxious. I, yeah. you know, I don't know. Um, so I... I knew it was a war movie going in and I've never seen this. I, you know, like we grew up around so many movies and I don't remember any of this. So I'm pretty sure I've never, I don't know. Uh, it was very stressful, but I think that if you can get past like the midway point, it was like right at like 50 to 55 minutes was real hard for me. Um, after that I was fine. Um, um so oh go ahead no uh, you're fine i i was just gonna say like um 
war movies can be challenging. I think Vietnam movies in particular are a lot of times really challenging um, because that war is usually looked negatively upon, especially from my experience with filmmakers. I would say a lot of film, not all filmmakers, fall on the liberal side of the political spectrum, but many do, and thus most of them oppose the Vietnam War. And the the war is always painted as just brutal and that is again i think even more so if the filmmaker tends to have experience with it um which platoon definitely this movie is is at times a horror film as far as like the the tension and and even some of the visuals i think are very like um there's a scene i won't say details yet but there's a scene later where like a character's appearance almost changes to the lighting and becomes like demonic um and I think that, you know, the, like scenes like that really paint a, a horrific picture of this war and what it does to people, um, this particular war. Like, I think you could make it a bigger commentary on all war, but I feel like it's very grounded in Vietnam here. Like, there's no question what war we're in and the horrors that they're facing um, making it. I think uh, if I don't know that all war movies try to do with what I feel Vietnam movies consistently seem to do, which is say war is war is awful. War is a nightmare. I think there are other movies set in other wars that definitely say war is awful. But I also think that there's a bigger trend, like with world war two films where you paint the picture of our soldiers being heroes or world war one, the, the soldiers who are not on the, the, the German side of the war are painted as the good guys. Um, Vietnam, I think there is a much grayer area because most people felt like we shouldn't have been there to begin with, mm -hmm. that it's not always painted as a clear right and wrong side of the war. And so it's just the horror of war and this um, relentlessness. And uh, well, I, I, I don't I don't think I've seen a Vietnam movie where they paint it otherwise. And I don't know that I'm sure they exist, just the big ones that I'm going to list some in a second here. And you've seen a, a few of them um I think at least, uh, but, but go ahead, Gordon. I was going to say that I think with that war too, we, I mean, there wasn't any positive outcome. I don't know. Like when you look no. at world war two and the Nazis and Jewish concentration camps and, you know, like, Things like that, but it's, I thought it was interesting because they never talked about in this movie, I didn't feel like they ever really talked about why mm -hmm. we were there. Um, so, I mean, war is political, but I feel like it was as non-political as it could have been. I'm going to let you take it from here, John, and the, you'll just do the talking. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know why you hesitate. Uh, you shouldn't hesitate. Just say what you're thinking. But um, so Full Metal Jacket. Have you ever seen that one? A long time ago. It's probably been 10 or more years. So that's Kubrick's uh, take on Vietnam. And we have seen Kubrick's other war film, um, Paths of Glory, which mm -hmm. I found very interesting to learn that um, George Stevens, before going off to World War II, I'm pretty sure it's Stevens was trying to get that book turned into a movie and they wouldn't let him do it because of the anti-war sentiment that Paths of Glory had. Um, 
and I found that to be like really, really crazy because that was much closer to the actual war. Uh, so that novel came out really fast after World War One, and then Kubrick wouldn't make it until the fifties, which you know we've now watched. So Kubrick kind of establishes his um, anti-war sentiment with with Paths of Glory, and then Full Metal Jacket takes it up a notch and uh, is really intense. Um, I like the first part of that movie at the at the boot camp. I find that is like endlessly engaging, and I think there's a lot of criticism there. I I think it's not as good later. But it still has a lot of criticism about the war and things of that nature. So I'm not not saying one way or the other. Um, then um, I've I've not seen a lot of Vietnam movies apparently, but um, Rambo uh, First Blood has that. Apocalypse Now though is one like I've seen Rambo First Blood, but it's been years since I saw Rambo. I was probably a kid. Apocalypse Now I watched a few years back. Um, that movie's really really tough. Have you seen that film? Apocalypse Now. So that's no. Ford Coppola. Uh, interesting detail. It stars Martin Sheen, who is um, oh. Charlie Sheen's father. Uh, and there are some definite parallels with some of the uh, the ideas of, of war and the evils of it. Um, I like Apocalypse Now a lot. Uh, I li- And I actually, I really like Platoon a lot. Um, Deer Hunter is one on my list. I have not seen, but I know it was Vietnam Connected. We... Um, and De Niro and Christopher Walken. We should work that in because I also haven't seen it. Mm. Really? After I know, <laughs> I know. I'm like, I think that. Oh man! Like I said, like that fifty to fifty-five minute mark, or like yeah. time was really, really, really hard for me. I guess because, I mean, it. I feel like a lot of times we don't see the other side when you're mm-hmm. watching movies, like you're seeing it from whoever the movie the is about. US soldiers are usually painted as the heroes. Yeah. And like seeing, I mean, we've Us do horrible things. Yeah. And yeah. like, this is as personal as it gets with the other, like with Vietnamese people that are being affected and being you know yeah no, so there's some horrific scenes um i i think i mean we're we're kind of dancing around some spoilers but it's probably good to go into spoilers so i think it's important to note Corey texted me uh partway through this movie banning war movies and <laughs> um and kind of uh, kind of frustrated with me and even saying she wasn't sure she could finish this movie i didn't it think is, i could it, it isn't safe. Um, but, but it sounds like you, when you made it through that you've come out mostly positive on the film as a whole, even though it's got some tough stuff in it that it's, even if something is hard for me to watch, or if I can't get through something, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that it's a bad film or, you know, that it doesn't, but yeah, I think that there's definitely some redeeming stuff in the story. Yeah, and I mean, I think as a film, it's just it's it's pretty masterful. Um, I I do think it maybe sets Oliver Stone up for a career that uh, allows him a lot of liberty to make some movies that I don't vibe with. Like I don't maybe I'll appreciate Natural Born Killers more now. As a kid, it freaked me out and I didn't like it. Um, plus, it's like you're you're following. It's definitely a satire that I don't think I was capable of understanding when I was like. I don't know. I probably was like twelve when I saw that. Mm. I shouldn't have seen it. Like that's it's one we've had this conversation many a time where we saw movies that we were not ready for 
because our parents were cool about it. And that's not necessarily a criticism to them, but like, I know I've learned a lot about that movie since I was a kid. And I definitely wasn't ready for that movie when I saw it. Like it was not something I was, cause it wasn't like a straightforward film. Like it's a lot of satire about that. Anyways, point being, I think this movie gave him a lot of carte blanche to kind of do what he wanted. Um, and that's not always a good thing. It, it might be again, maybe I'm just, maybe I need to rewatch that uh, to really critique it. You know, I shouldn't probably be trying to critique a film. I saw when I was 12 years old and have very little memory of outside of not enjoying it. Um, and maybe being a little freaked out by it, but um, nevertheless, uh, I think Corey and I both see Platoon as a exactly it lives up to the stats. It has a ninety-two meta score, which is insanely high. Um, but I mean, the performances are incredible. I love Defoe in this so much, oh. and definitely like Charlie Sheen a lot. And I really, um, I thought uh, Keith David had. I, I like Keith David normally, and I just it was cool seeing kind of like younger Keith David here, and and. Forrest Whitaker is always great. Um, and John C. McGinley, uh, who I always think of as a bad guy um, because he often plays kind of jerks and he kind of is here too, but uh, he's got some sympathetic moments, but then also not at all. At another time. Um, there's some scary, like the different personalities of the soldiers are so extreme at times, but it's clearly like commentary on the war. Like there's no hesitation to like acknowledge that, but it's, it's well-written. It's well-crafted, uh, super, super well-performed. Um, some stunning visuals and some scenes that I like had seen parodied and replicated and didn't really get that they originated here or the like the Defoe scene that's on the the poster. Yeah. I'd seen that poster for so long I never knew what that was representing. And now having seen the movie, I was like, "Wow, that is a hell of a choice for the poster." Like it's kind of insane that that's the poster when you once you know what that image is actually like happening. It's like, wow, that's what you put on the poster? <laughs> like, that's insane. But, um, yeah, let's get into spoilers. Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about 1986's Platoon. You have been warned. So, yeah, the fact that that is Elias reaching up for, like, I guess you could say he's reaching up to gods, but he's also reaching up to the helicopter to be rescued while he's being hunted down by the Viet Cong and was dying because of the opposing sergeant shooting him. And that's your poster. Or, I mean, granted, I don't know if that was the poster for like the movie while it was coming out, but that is what I've seen on the cover of the film for years, like working at FYE and like if it's on Netflix, that's the poster image. So I never knew what he was. I just thought he was like, like, I'm so tired of being in Vietnam, but no, it's like, I'm dying. Somebody save me. You know, it's insane. Oh, man. I just was like, why are y'all letting him go into the woods by with him by himself? Yeah, well, I, the, I don't think anyone suspected Barnes of being capable of that type of evil. That why? He I mean, he was fine um, with his, you know, platoon raping women and, you know, why? I think the reason, though, which I agree with you, but I think the idea is... um that uh he allowed that to the enemy right like that it's not okay i'm They're not humans. condoning it but but th that is he is well no he doesn't see them that way right but and i think that's the point that why elias wouldn't have suspected that because even when he first sees him he doesn't think he's in danger yeah like and so my point is like 
Barnes doesn't view the Viet Cong as people. He views them as the enemy, and the enemy is expendable, and thus um, he doesn't care. But their brothers in arms, there's this level of uh, chivalry. There's a level of um, honor, right, that I think it's just everyone kind of expects to be there. And that's that look when there's a close-up when uh, when Elias realizes that Barnes is going to shoot yeah. where you just see his face drop. Like you see it in his eye. I think it's just his eye. You just see it because Defoe is such a great facial actor that even on the close-up of all you can see on the screen is the eye, you see him frown because of the change in his look, like the look in his eye. And I, I just think it's, it's such a brilliant move on Defoe's part. And again, for uh, Stone to know he could do a close-up and you will know that he has realized he's dead in that second, just looking at his eye. And um, I think, again, I think that it showcases like Barnes is evil. Yes, but he's only evil in terms of the enemy. But now I guess the question is, who does he view as the enemy? It's anyone who stands in his way. It's not the Viet Cong. It's anyone who, who tries to stop him from being him. He's going to get in the way. And again, because those two men represent the ideologies that were competing at the time the those who were pro-war those who were anti-war um that clash is inevitable and i think the difference is the anti-war doesn't have the killer instinct because they don't want to kill and so barnes has that killer instinct he's gonna take he's gonna do whatever it takes i didn't see elias as being anti-war though i saw elias as following the rules Right. I, I don't disagree, but I think if you look at his camp, the overall kind of attitude, the fact that they were doing drugs and smoking weed, if you were to pull back and go like to the U.S., what was going hippies. on, the the hippies would have been that side of it. And so I think that's and I, that's not my take exclusively. I did watch a couple of videos where people were kind of pointing out the blatant duality built into the script. It's even in the plot synopsis I read a second ago. Um a shrewd examination of the brutality of the war and the duality of man in conflict. So like it's, it's built into the text in a, um, I would say you could, you could just take this at its surface for sure, but it's any, any familiarity with what was happening with the Vietnam war here stateside. There's a pretty clear picture about this two sides to the war, uh, painted in this movie. Um, and again, not in a, not in a derogatory way. I think it's, I think it's pretty brilliant actually. Um, because you are watching a very intense war movie where the combat scenes are scary and intense. And um, when you're waiting for the ambush and like, he's trying to click the, the claymore, like it's, it's crazy. And I, I will say, um, I, I said, I had a really bad day Wednesday and um, we were eating dinner. Like my wife, my daughter and I, and I was like, I don't, I really don't want to watch this freaking movie tonight. Cause I just know it's going to be so intense. It's, it's a Vietnam movie. I've, you know, it's this real serious war movie. I do not want to watch it right now. I'm not in the mental state for this type of movie, but I, I knew I had plans on Thursday and then I don't like to wait till Friday to watch the movie because we record. So if something goes wrong or if I run out of time or whatever, you know, I don't want to be in a position where I can't finish it. So Wednesday was like the only day I could watch it. And I, it, it managed to like, it didn't pull me out of my funk, but it was like, this is too excellent and too well made for you to be upset at watching this and like i had to just kind of separate myself from my my negative feelings and was just kind of blown away by this movie um and i i will admit like i i definitely looked away more than i normally would because of that other side that i was going through 
but the movie kept pulling me back in and I was just, I was impressed uh, to, to say the least. Again, I, I expected to like this. It's on the top 100 AFI movie list. Um, and, you know, there's not like there's not a lot of negative opinions. There are some pretty harsh criticisms about this film, um, but not necessarily about the filmmaking, but more about like its take on things or its commentary on the war. Like those are criticisms that are going to be very subjective. Any like even more subjective than a I like this film. I don't like this film. Those are like this film is really well made however i disagree with this politics or this film is really well well made but i don't like what it's saying about this thing like and i think there's even a criticism about like it being racist because of the treatment of the black soldiers but that wasn't my take on this like i felt like that was not stone projecting like his opinion but like this was how it was you know that was the vibe i got so i didn't take it as a negative i i would like to do some more reading on that to see if there's any like real like uh, criticisms about the treatment of the black soldiers in this film outside of it being like, this was how it was in Vietnam. Um, Cause that's the other thing. Like, yes, there's, there's a battle back stateside over the war, but the civil rights movements in full swing as well. And there's backlash from that happening stateside too. So like there's all sorts of tension and anger happening in that, that time period when Vietnam's going on. So I didn't even think about that. Um, I like seeing the changes in some of them, some of the soldiers too, especially um, Taylor, since he's our main character, of course. Yes, Chris. Yes. Chris Taylor. She's, she, I'm not correcting her, but I'm like looking We're at each saying. Years, that's Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, kind of seeing that change in him and seeing, I guess, being able to separate what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, man. I just... Well, there's... When we first meet Chris, and he's, like, walking across the uh, the screen, at, like, he's arriving to Vietnam, and there's a bunch of other soldiers who appear to be leaving, and there's, some of them are talking smack, but he locks eyes with the one guy, and, like, they're, like the guy's giving him, like, this really harsh look, and they, he can't look away, and the guy just kind of smirks. Like, it's such a telling kind of, like, I was once like you, and one, and soon you'll be like me, kind of, like, you like have no this, idea. This place is gonna change you, yeah. Like, and then that's exactly what happens. Like, it's very much foreshadowing because well, he... the Chris that leaves is not the same Chris. No, and he chose to be there. Yeah, and he regrets it immediately. Um, but yeah, like that's the whole thing too. Like, he dropped out of college to come be a patriot. You know, maybe the romanticized version of war. That uh, you know, I think. I think. Um, I was talking about Five Came Back. I think a lot of the propaganda films that were made during that time by the U.S. really pushed this idea that, like, if you aren't serving your country as a soldier, you're not a real man. And I think that played a lot in soldiers like Chris, who joined voluntarily um, because they felt the sense of obligation and the sense of uh, I'm not doing my, my country justice if I don't go to war, even if I don't necessarily agree with why we're at war or who we're fighting. I feel like I have to serve kind of thing. And that's, it seemed to be part of his motivation um, in joining. Yeah. Well, also he said that he didn't think it was fair that he didn't have to go. Yeah. So, you know, which I think there's um, a lot of like, if in the five came back, there's a lot of talk about uh, some of the, the directors like, Oh, 
so John Ford worked with John Wayne a lot. Like we saw searchers um, were there together and um, John Wayne doesn't go to world war two, right? John Wayne keeps saying, I'm going to join as soon as I finish this movie, but then, Oh, well this other movie came up. Oh, this other movie came up. And so when Ford comes back and he cast Wayne in um, a movie called the expendables, which was about uh, some, it was like his world war two follow up to his time actually in the war Ford, like, like despise John Wayne and there's a scene he's playing Wayne's playing a soldier in this movie and he has to salute and like Ford like snaps at him can't you even salute like you or like you, you like you were once a real soldier or something like that and Wayne like storms off the set like it's this big ordeal and um so there's that sentiment where you know like a lot of soldiers had this thing like if you don't fight and I'm over here fighting, like, how dare you? So, like, that sense of obligation where, like, he felt like, I have to do this. I totally, that's, that was a common sentiment, you know? Um, and you still hear that now. I mean, there are people, I know um, students I've had, friends of my own, who, if you don't, if you didn't go to fight or if you don't sign up for the military, like, you know, you're not, you're not doing what you're su supposed to do. And obviously, that's, there are countries where you have to join the military at a certain age and, um historically that's always been a thing too like throughout history that there are cultures where that was a big part of it, it was like once you turn 18 you join the, the military for a few years or whatever and do your time um so it's not it's historically founded to have that kind of sense of obligation but yeah it, uh, not one i share um that's not what your country you know. can do for you um yeah i can't even remember what that was in regards to so sorry guys um I know that it was JFK, um, but yeah, I, um, you know, when that happens to Elias, I'm just thinking that none of, <laughs> there aren't going to be any good guys, <laughs> quotes, mm. good guys that make it out of this alive. <laughs> yeah, because Elias, I... I I love Defoe. Like I am a really big Willem Defoe fan, and it's so hard for me to like when the, when I found out he was casting this and he was the good guy, I was so stunned because my first like real memory of him is Green Goblin, right? Like that's when I first became like really aware of Willem Defoe, um, and he's super villain, right? In in Spider Man, mm -hmm. and then a, a lot of movies, like even in Boondock Saints, which I wouldn't see for a few years after the Spider Man he starts off as the bad guy detective figure, you know, cause you're rooting for the, the boondock saints and he's, uh, he looks like he's going to be the one who brings them down. I won't spoil that movie, but it goes in different directions than you might expect it to. Um, and so like, even there, I was just like, I always think of him as this weird kind of eccentric guy. And he's so much more, he's, he's a little eccentric here, but he's so much more down to earth than a lot of his other characters. I, I am uh, a big big fan of his and i just think it's i kind of think it's really cool casting here because he could have easily have been the Arms. other guy yeah and um oh. for him to be the good guy he just nails it burns is such a good villain um yeah well this movie uh it's worthy of note we don't always talk about like academy awards but a lot of times we pick movies that aren't nominated for anything this movie uh is nominated for several things but wins Best Picture in the 1987 Oscars wins Best Picture, Best Director, Best Sound, which is kind of common for war movies, to be honest, because there's so much layers of stuff happening. And then uh, Best Film Editing by Claire Simpson, which I, I have no issues with. 
um, but nominated Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe both nominated for best supporting role. Wow. So two two supporting odds for the same movie. Not uncommon, but not common either. Uh, best writing, a screenplay written directly for the screen, and then best cinematography for Robert Richardson. Again, not uncommon for a war film to get that type of uh, technical nods, but um, this movie got a lot of love uh, from the Oscars and also Golden Globes. It won uh, Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Performance um, for Tom Berenger in supporting role. Nice. So uh, not not often we have Best Picture movies on our list or Top 100 AFI movies on our list. It, it's not we don't avoid them, mind you, but they're you know we pull from movies we haven't seen, and there's a lot more movies we haven't seen than just ones that have won Oscars, but um, it is kind of cool when we have one, especially since it's not the theme. Like we didn't pick us. Like there was one year we did uh, best picture winners that we hadn't seen or whatever, but we've only done that once. So this is just a coincidence that this happened to be a best picture. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, do you have anything else to add? Um, I'm glad that Taylor made it out alive and that <laughs> Barnes did not. Yeah, uh, him killing Barnes is uh, an important moment um, and also kind of a tragic moment because I don't think that he would have killed someone like that in the beginning of the film. Um, and, and there's multiple times where he shows the goodness in him. Like he stops, he's upset about the one killing uh, even after doing some bad things himself. Um, and then he stops the rape from happening. And you know, like I think another one of the things that made that one scene like so scary was just like the mob mentality. Like... Mm-hmm. They all just, like, at the beginning, you know, or in that scene, they're all, like, gung-ho, 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 and then a few of them break away. I Yeah, and that is always scary to me. Yeah, and I feel like Barnes needed to die. I could just see him going on forever, like, taking no prisoners. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um... I mean, that's this movie does a lot, and it does it does it really well. Yeah, I'll go with must see. Yeah, it's this is one that I I have no hesitation just kind of going with the consensus. It is a must see film. Um, I am glad I, this was number seventy one for me off the one hundred AFI list. I've oh. now seen seventy one of the one hundred films. I am uh, actively working my way to the end, and by coincidence. Several of the films I have not seen, I recently purchased because of the uh, five came back and found out they were on the list. So I'm like, oh. I have a lot to, I probably have like 10 movies uh, readily available to watch. I started one earlier and then um, I ended up playing cards with my friend tonight. So I, uh, I only got through like the first half hour, but I will be finishing uh, the treasure of the Sierra Madre over the next couple, well, not the next couple of days. I'll finish it tomorrow. Um, but so I'm working my way through the top 100 uh, is I think it's become one of my goals for the year. So just finish that uh, or as close as I can. There's like two movies that I don't know if I'm going to sit through. Like, I don't know if I'll sit through D.W. Griffiths and Tolerance because um, it's like a th- almost four hour silent film. Oh. And I just I'm just like, that's and it's also D.W. Griffith also like a few years before Intolerance oh. made Birth of a Nation. Um, so. It's just not mm. not really like intolerance is supposed to be his apology movie where he like that's why it's called intolerance is like intolerance is not okay it's like yeah dude but you still made birth of a nation and so i don't know if i want to watch your movie even if it's on the top 100 um so i may not get all of them but i'm gonna be very close i'm gonna hit probably 98 before the end of the year so nice but 
All right, listener, if you like what we're doing, we ask that you take a minute, rate and review the podcast. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. And next week, we're going to be finishing up McTurbo with um, Corey's movie. And I am now, I, I knew what it was, and it's not coming to me. Oh, I, ah, yes, I do. They Live. We're going for a kind of like sci-fi horror action movie called They Live. John Carpenter, Roddy Piper. I mean, it was just his oh, my God. Too. Um, oh. Carpenter. Oh, Keith David's in this too. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, that's a weird double up. Uh, this movie is from 1988. Seems like we, we increasingly went up <laughs> with years too. Um, uh, so that's what we're going to be reviewing next week. It is currently on, um, I'm looking, it's on Peacock. If you have Peacock, you can watch it. Even if you don't have Peacock premium, apparently it's available to you to watch. Um, and of course you can rent or buy it wherever you get your movies, but, uh, we'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on they live. I've seen it. Corey hasn't, I'm excited to rewatch it. It's been a long time since I last saw it. Um, we'll be watching that to review next week. Follow us on social media. Let us know what you think. I'm at Burke reviews and Corey at Corey, our star two R's on the end. And we say, uh, you know, stay safe, mask up. And most importantly, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast, burkereviews.com. <laughs>